Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good evening, or morning, or afternoon. Whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in, indeed welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Every week at this time, the Event Horizon presents writers, producers, artists, filmmakers, actors, and other members of the community that builds this magnificent web we call science fiction. And with us today is none other than Scott Vigay, a.k.a. Dr. Geek. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having since, me. It's been a while yeah. since we've had you on. Oh, I know. What a great, great having you back. Thank you. He's on every week. Yeah, well, yeah, you're on every week on Krypton Radio, but we, we haven't had you on the show since, what was it, May? Yeah, exactly. Like a, lot, a lot has happened since May. It's pretty darn cool. And, and uh, the big thing is coming on Krypton Radio itself. Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> it's pretty awesome. We're on uh, Must Hear Thursdays. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're on uh, uh, actually three times a day on Thursday. Yeah, uh, and it, it's, uh, it's I tell you, you know, time. I all hmm? geek all the time. Yeah, I, you know, I really, I, I knew I had finally made it because uh, got to hear the, you know, the Superman serial and then us, and you're like, oh my god, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what just happened? <laughs> it was pretty, pretty spectacular. Uh, so I, I'm thrilled to be a part of the Krypton Radio family, and just 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 so excited. Uh, oh wait, you wait till you see what we've got waiting in the wings for January. Uh, we've just gotten word from Microsoft that we are going to be accepted into the Windows Media Guide ooh. for Microsoft Windows. They're only that's your Windows Media Player. And in the Windows Media Player, there's Windows Media Guide where you can listen to online radio stations or podcasts or things like that. There are only 206 radio stations in the guide. We are the only sci-fi radio station in there. And uh, we're going to be on every version of Windows everywhere on the entire planet. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so that's going well. That's awesome. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, it's it certainly does certainly uh, certainly is an improvement. We sh- we should be seeing some nice numbers from that. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, uh, I believe you guys have just burned through our first season, our first six episodes, right? Unfortunately, we have. Yes, yeah. yes, we have. I feel a kinship to our our friends with the British media. You know, six episodes, that's a full season. Yeah, believe it. When you're doing it on your own, it is. Um, Oh, yes. Yes, it um, is. But we are are, uh, right now currently in the middle of our second season. And uh-huh. uh, and I'm just excited. I mean, if, if people liked what they heard, in season two we cover robotics, the 3D printer, and bionics. Oh, and 
and uh, and, combinations, so, and combinations of the above, right? Yeah. <laughs> can, can so you grab it, your microphone and point it at you. At me. No, just swivel the whole thing at you. Okay. You hello. All right, that's better. Yeah, we're. Uh, this is all sort of new stuff. We've got our new. Uh, we we've got our twice. new studio rig, and we've got. Uh, and we've got. Uh, uh, some audio equipment that's worth more than my car at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so that's, that's how fun. it goes, right? Oh, yeah. You, it all, you, yeah. You start saying things like, ooh, that Yeti mic sounds like it could be a good thing. I don't need <laughs> to make that mortgage payment. I think I can. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no the mortgage payment comes good, first but... because I need a box for my toys. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite that bad, but uh, boy, it's it's getting up there. You know, and when, when, when you've got a dozen pieces of equipment and there isn't a single piece of it that's less than 150 bucks, yeah, it adds up fast. You're gonna be embarrassed by that statement someday. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm gonna be. Uh, yeah, I'm. Oh my <laughs> god! I can't believe I've used yeah. a hundred hundred dollar microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, you have uh. Is it the the uh, the book that you already had out? Is it you found a new publisher? Yes. It tells, um, first of all, for the for those listening who have just tuned in, we're talking to Doctor Scott Vigay, aka Doctor Geek. Uh, the auth- the name of your book is Ar- Archaeology in Fiction. Archaeology in Fiction, and it was out. Uh, it was on out on Amazon before. Yes, and it was uh, it was out. Uh, but a uh, it was self published originally, mm-hmm. and we had it on Amazon and for Kindle. And uh, shortly after the book came out, uh, I got a, a chance to have it be picked up by Bear Manor Media. And Bear Manor Media is a, is a small press, but they are mm-hmm. uh, pretty famous. They, they um, I share a publisher now with June Foray. Uh, so as far as I'm wow. concerned, I think it's really kind of cool that Dr. Geek and Rocky the Flying Squirrel share a <laughs> publisher. Um, it's it's just uh, it, very, very awesome. And uh, Bear Manor Media has been uh, wonderful to me. They have picked up the book. It is now officially back on uh, Amazon and for Kindle and all these other things. But what, the great thing that comes with working with them is now it's available everywhere. So while your favorite bookstore, if you remember what those things were, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't carry it, um, you can at least order it and it will be available. And we're going to make it available to all the other online abilities like the iBook store and, and things like that. So, um, And what is great, uh, my book, Archaeology and Fiction, where we actually go in and, and talk about the, the 10 uh, tropes of science, of, of uh, movies and film, talking about how archaeology is portrayed and then why is it portrayed that way uh, and what how close is it to the real thing and why do we do it the way we do it even if it is wrong and um because if it, the, because if all archaeologists were you know were shown the way they did they're not all hotties like you know indiana like, jones okay right, exactly. <laughs> otherwise no one would no, go to no, class no, all... <laughs> none of the girls right no indiana jones or dr jackson no uh, uh most or River ar- Song. yeah and most most archaeological research is done in the library and <laughs> which is is true and what is um what is cool about it is at dragon con i was actually approached by a few graduate students and they told me that had they had my book while they were still in class they would have understood their textbook better uh and that Ooh. was uh Ooh, that was a high praise nice comment 
And one of the other um, persons that came up to me was trying to get my book added to the curriculum. And now that we've got it picked up by a much better publisher and, and wider availability, that is something that is going to happen. Um, I, you know, at least it, it now becomes a, a possibility. Yes. Well, going yes to be... it's, it's a lot easier to, to sell uh, academia on the idea of picking up a book that isn't published by the same guy that wrote it. Yeah, exactly. So it's nice. I mean, it, it was, what's been great is the reaction to the book has been uh, positive completely. Whether you are a fan of fiction or a fan of archaeology, uh, whether you're a student of archaeology, I mean, and it, it's just, uh, it's been great. It's, like everything else that we do at, like, a Dr. Geek's Laboratory, the idea here is we use fiction to start the conversation so that you get a, a, a frame of reference to when you talk about the, the hard science behind it all. And uh, people seem to really respond to it, and I, I'm just very grateful. And I'm very excited for the new edition of Bear Manor Media, uh, and, and I just can't wait to see what we can do with it. Okay. And, you, you know, my away. concept for this was uh, that it's going to be a series of books, archaeology and fiction, you know, mythology, and, and, and so forth. And and so there will be uh, follow-up books coming from this that probably be a little bit more meaty, a little bit more in depth than the first one. Yeah, um, that's one of the I was what I was trying to do with my phone was I was trying to bring up the book in Kindle so that I could have a look at it as we were talking. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> when yes. at the minute he did that, it's he, your voice started going out. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think I think it's I think we're connected okay. on wi-fi and we're in a faraday cage here in the living room so oh all right where, where, where do you need me to back up uh let's see um not to good evening really I not to good evening but uh let's see we were talking about uh the benefits i i Starting had just i would just i had just commented that there's a strong benefit in 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 uh in trying to get your book uh uh, published, I mean, I'm sorry, there was a, I was commenting that there was a strong benefit if you're going to get your book accepted by academia that uh, it's, they take a much kinder eye to books that aren't published by the person who wrote them. And right. that's, and that's it, where we... I disagree with that. Half the books, half the classes I took in college, you know, the textbook was written by the... Oh, well, yeah, but that's, you're not factoring in the NIH, not invented here. Yeah, well, yeah, no, it's, it's I, the, when you're it's at teachers use... that write those books. Well, that's so. what I mean, and you know, if you see press you're not a is teacher, practically you're at a disadvantage. Yeah, well. you know. So well, I, you know, I'm I'm very thrilled that it gives other opportunities, and the idea here, uh, you know, like I do for everything else with Doctor Geek's Laboratory, is to use fiction to open up the conversation. So if this allows people to have better understand archaeology and and to find out what it is all about and maybe get in, excited about that, then that's fantastic. And I plan on following up the book with uh, other similar books like uh, mythology and fiction and so forth. Uh -huh. uh, it's going to become a whole series of, of books. That, and now that I know that there is a market for it and that people are responding well, I think that the future versions are going to be a little bit more in-depth and a little bit weightier now that I know that I can go with it. And uh, it's it's just a, a fun thing to be able to do, really. So if you and, already spent some time uh, spinning some spinning some gears on, on mapping out what the next books are going to be? 
Yep, exactly. And in fact, if you look at uh, the book that is out, Archaeology and Fiction, you'll notice that we have a, a little fictitious story going throughout the entire thing. There's a, a diary entry that is at the top of every chapter, and I say that it's uh, you know from an archaeologist whose uh, notes we've uncovered. And um, my wife, who is the New York Times best-selling author, Debbie Vigay, uh, she uh, saw those notes and said, you know, hey, do you actually know the full story behind all this that you're writing? And I said, well, I've got a basic idea. And she said, well, if you uh, want to work on it together, then maybe we could do a tie-in b- uh, novel to this book that actually is the the true fi- you know, story behind what, you know, this oh, little adventure you're hey, doing. hey, I like so, that. So there is actually going to be a tie-in to uh, this book um, uh, called Tears of Poseidon, which is actually the the true adventures of this that I um, take and work on a little bit for this book. So in in this case, it was uh, fiction uh, being used to highlight reality and then going back to fiction again. So we're we're kind of closing the loop on it, uh, and we're potentially creating... uh, the possibility of a series of adventures by our, our archaeologist. <laughs> and uh, so it, it, you know, when you, cool. when you I have, when, when you have a New York times bestselling author in your family in your, and she yeah. says, and she says, you know, Hey, I think you're onto something. You kind of pay attention. Yeah. yeah, yeah I should say you do. Yeah. That's, so, you don't want to sleep what a on great idea. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's really, really fantastic. And like I say, you know, being able to meet people at Dragon Con and at Time mm-hmm. Heat and in Time Lord Fest and, and all those other things and the various uh, library events that we've been doing lately, uh, it's been, it's been great to kind of, um, see people get excited about the, the idea of, oh, hey, I saw that on a movie. But this is what's really behind it all. Hey, I want to know more about that. And that's been been a lot of fun. I mean, one of the things that we've done, like I said, the, the library events, uh, we did a few for uh, the Osceola County Library System. And they were so successful that apparently at their latest meeting, uh, word kind of spread a little bit. And I've been inundated by requests to uh, reproduce that. Uh, experience for the upcoming science fiction days at the library or so uh, you know the science reading day yeah it's really kind of cool uh-huh. we we have a, a bunch of geeks in Osceola County because um, they had uh, Doctor Who days at the library for the 50th anniversary and uh, that was really really spectacular that was a lot of fun oh, wow. and uh, and was that does uh, sound like fun it what, what was really cool is we had some kids that were you know, uh, 12, 13, 14 years old coming up and uh, asking questions about like the flying cars and bionics and the, you know, the sonic, uh, you know, the sonic screwdriver and how could that work? And can you explain to me, you know, you know, is time travel possible? And then you say time travel into the future. That's easy. Astronauts do it, you know, and you do a little experiment Mm -hmm. and, you know, time travel into the past. Well, and then it it was so funny. um, I, you know, I give an answer to that and I, try to give an illustration as to what would be required and uh, uh brian cox the the very famous scientist did a, a doctor who special for Ooh, the 50th he's anniversary. dreamy oh yeah he's pretty awesome and he did a, 
a, a, a the science of Doctor Who, and what was so funny is that when he came to his explanation, um, it wasn't m- much more advanced than mine. And I felt like, oh, good. You know, <laughs> uh, he vindicate he validated my approach because I'm like, oh, well, you know, hey, I don't have a whole lot of time, and a lot of this is speculation. Um, and you know, he basically came up with a similar answer. And I'm like, okay, I, oh, good. So I'm not like leading anybody astray. So well, he's I, sort of it's, a, it's, he's sort of a physics rock star too. I mean, he's yeah, young, he's attractive, and, he's well spoken, um, and, and he's excited about the topic. And I think that goes a very long way. Yep. And, and uh, I think one of the valuable things that he does that Carl Sagan did before him was that uh, he popularizes science. You know, yep. he makes it. He makes it cool, and he makes it something that you want to stop and go, "Ooh, what's this?" Yeah, and you know, I th- I think uh, Doctor Geek's laboratory is trying to follow in those footsteps, and I was, we've had I was thinking that, you know, I was yeah. thinking that very that very thing is that that uh, uh, taking science and I mean, what's wrong with romanticizing it a bit? I mean, science can be very dry if you think about it in terms of, oh, uh, research is going to the library. Well. Sometimes, <laughs> and and quite often. But what's mm-hmm. nice about it, you know, if you can get excitement for the process of solving a puzzle, you know, don't think about it. Don't think of it as going to the library and sitting around and staring at a book. It's the process of going on a treasure hunt. Can I figure out this puzzle? And uh, you know, and, and just maybe rephrasing it slightly. I think that's part of the of the, of the trick. And with um, you know, with if you're using like we're doing with using science fiction, everybody understands that Star Trek inspired the creation of the uh, fo- of the mobile phone. You know, the communicator mm-hmm. inspired the the, the smartphone. So I would say also the tricorder and all that sort of thing. The iPad. And... Yeah, the iPad, obviously, the bio bed, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and all these things, and, and what the I th- the, uh, the uh, sideband sensors. I, I I think they use microwave ref- reflective microwave uh, technology to actually see through solid walls mm-hmm. and, and cook lunch. All of this stuff, and, and it's uh, <laughs> yeah. What well, I, I and I'm watching uh, I'm watching uh, a whole new world of of geek engagement happening around me uh with the new maker movement mm-hmm. uh, i i i have a i've got a raspberry pi i was given for christmas last year it's a 35 dollar computer right uh, it's a slightly bigger than a credit card uh it's got half a gig of ram uh, use it boots off an sd card um, it's got a gigahertz processor in it with graphics acceleration and a sound chip and an Ethernet port and uh, and the whole thing. And it's 35 bucks. And you can program this thing using Linux and Python and whatever else you like. And it's got a hardware interface and people are building amazing things out of it. Oh, absolutely. And, when it comes to our uh, – we do a series of, of investigations on the 3D printer, and one of the ones that uh, – one of the interviews is with a, a guy who is a maker. And uh, he was telling us about his experiences with the Raspberry Pi, and he actually got his 3D printer to print the case for his computer. <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh-huh. and, you know, what I love about the philosophy of the makers, at least with him, and, and people, when they get to the, hear that episode, they'll get all the details, but the idea is that, you know, they're open to anyone who's interested in, in being a participant, but the idea is that, you know, they'll come to the, they'll have an open house, you'll come to the, the maker shop, 
And then they'll ask you, so, you know, hey, what do you know how to use and what are you interested in and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, basically whatever your concept is, the one thing that they're trying to um, gauge is just how motivated are you to try it yourself. Mm-hmm. And they are all about someone learning a new skill and saying, well, hey, I would love to do X, but I don't know how to do it yet. But, you know, here, we'll do everything to show you how to build that skill set, but we won't do it for you. You know what I mean? If if you come up there with a project and just hope that the other guys will get in there and just do it for you, that's not likely to happen. But they will help you as far as they can to help you build that skill set so that you can per- actively participate in whatever project you're in. And I love that idea. And you know, if, I wish there were maker, um, you know, facilities, you know, in the in the 70s and 80s because you know I, I would have you know, just just really enjoyed that, that. But you know what? Hey, they're here now, and I think people would need to know about them, and they're everywhere. And, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot to get involved, and, uh, you know, you can learn all sorts of different things. And, uh, you know, in his regard, he was talking about the 3D printer and the fact that, you know, it took a long time to set up because those things are temperamental. You know, they're not as easy as a, as a replicator. We're not quite at replicator standard yet. I can't walk up there and say, T, Earl Grey, hot. Um, but, you know, we're going to eventually get to something similar. And there are definitely companies out there that are working on making the 3D printing experience accessible to the average person and coming up with an interface that is kind of, uh, you know, basic so that no matter what you do, it will work. Because part of the problem is coming up with a design that will actually print. And they're getting better and better software that can double check and, and correct your design to make sure that it will function the way you hope it will. And and that solves so many problems. And it also stops the possibility of going through the, the hours it takes to print something to find out, you know, five hours later that it was a simple mistake that all you had to do is correct this one little thing and then it would work. But since you didn't, you have to scrap it all and start all over again. Yeah, and it's uh, not like you can just, say, take the used plastic and put it back in the hopper. It, this stuff is a filament. And it's, yeah. uh, it's essentially a digitally controlled hot glue gun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, well, that's you know, how that's, it works. That's a, that's a great way to put it. And in fact, you know, it was so funny. I was at Fanboy Expo in Tampa a, a few months ago, and uh, we were talking about 3D printer. And we had a we had a booth there, and I was doing my. Uh, you know, uh, my uh, pitch for Dr. Geek's lab, you know, it was kind of, it was, it was um, uh, a little music man-ish, kind of, you know, like, hey, can I talk to you about science? Let's talk about science. And, um, and I guess my voice carried a little. And uh, we had somebody come over and they said, do you know about 3D printers? And I said, yes, I do. And they're like, great, we have one in our booth and we can't get it to work. <laughs> And I'm like, well, which version do you have? You know, they're like, well, we have a MakerBot version, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, well, uh, let's take a Geek look. Dr. Geek to the and, rescue. You know, yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. funny. They were, they were actually 3D printing a figurine of Yoda's head. Oh, and yes, were, that's a classic. And they were giving it away as part of the, you know, a raffle mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Well, that's, and, that's good because I, I, I would hate to see Lucasfilm come after them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> No, if, well, you give it, if you give them away as, as you know, if you're not selling them, you're, you're allowed to give them away. Okay. Just making yeah. sure there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's something that I was, uh, we encountered uh, uh, the manufacturer of a, another uh, printer, 3D printer, 
whose name I don't recall off the top of my head, but it's a really good one, uh, Hexa something. Anyway, they were concerned about um, the legality of printing uh, geek-recognizable iconography and giving it away at conventions. And yeah. Nah, they, they don't care. As long as, you've, as long as you're not making money selling the objects themselves, they could, they could frankly care less. It's not worth their time to bo- even pick up the phone to bother you. But, right. Uh, but this, anyway, so, con- I'm sorry, continue with your story about... Did you fix well, the Did you, did fix you manage the to fix it? Uh, did I fix the printer? No, actually, oh, uh, by the time I got over to the booth, they had already gotten it fixed. But the thing is, is that it is uh, very temperamental. They, were, they had the printer on a, uh, you know, a, a, a folding table, and it wasn't exactly level, and that was part of the problem. Uh-huh. And, and, and so... You know, it, but the fact that this thing was able to be in the room and, you know, it only took up a small section of a folding table, I mean, that's remarkable in itself. And, uh, you know, what we learned um, through the investigation on the 3D printer is that it's going through leaps and bounds as it is. Uh, you know, if everyone, uh, I don't know any of your listeners, obviously watch uh, the show called Eureka. The last season or so of Eureka kind of became obsessed with this idea of 3D printing uh, human clones. And, you know, the question is, you know, is that possible? Well, it's actually, um, it, it is. Sort of. Sort of. I mean, you the, can the question print, You can print human parts, not all it, human. No, but, I mean, we're getting there. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know... Uh, it was really, really funny. At one point, the person we were talking to actually, uh, we hit an NDA wall, basically. We couldn't go any further in the conversation because they had agreed not to disclose. And uh, they were working with, you know, a bunch of different people and the government and the like. And basically, the gist is is that, you know, bioprinting is possible. It's just very, very delicate and very expensive. And you have to, and you know, and, and more than a clean room. This is not something that mm-hmm. you could have in your garage. But, you know, what it is interesting that they have stories out there about uh, someone who is able to 3D print uh, some kidneys and they function mm-hmm. for, you know, a, a bit of time. Now, granted, the fact that they only lasted like six, seven hours is not great, but the fact that they were actually able to exist and function for six or seven hours, that's pretty spectacular. So, Well, cloning the know, nephron's the hard part. Yeah, it, it, it's it's one of those things where we're getting there, and it might. It's not something that is totally impossible. It's just improbable at the moment, given uh, what we know about energy and uh, and and the resources necessary. But you know, we're getting there. And as far as everything else, well, I'm pretty sure that when you know, in another ten, fifteen years, I won't be going to Kmart or Walmart for things like a toothbrush. I'll just print my own, uh, you know, and, and stuff like that. So. It's possible, I mean, you know, and you might be finding uh, like a three D printed uh, convenience stores where the, you know it's everything in the catalog is available. It just mm-hmm. takes ten minutes to print, and you know, and things like that. And, and there's a company out by Berkeley that is um, putting together. It's called the Dream Box. I don't know if you guys heard about it. You're in Los Angeles, um, but I know uh, they're up by UC Berkeley, and the Dream Box is designed to basically be a web interface. Um, so that if you don't have access to a local 3D printer, you could uh, go, log on and use one of theirs, and then they can UPS ship you whatever you printed. And uh, for those listening, we are we are talking to Dr. Scott Vigay, Dr. Geek's Lab. You can hear him uh, every Thursday three times a day. Um, but the uh, uh, the... 
Well, I'm going to edit this out. I lost my train of thought. I needed to insert the station ID, and that, then I lost it, and I'm. Um, the dream box, Berkeley. Oh, thank you. For those listening, uh, it is, and if you're interested in 3D printing, but you don't think you can afford it, and you're just getting all squeamy inside because you really, really, really want it, but you can't justify the expense there is a way around the problem you can get 3d printed stuff if you use something like dreambox uh, or one of the other services you you can have the stuff 3d printed for you you know if you're just going to print two or three objects a year it might be a lot more cost effective to do that than to uh, than to buy a printer yourself. Or cultivate Although, friends who have... Uh... Or, or cultivate <laughs> friends, you know, or go in together in a group and buy one. Uh, but, it, uh, I mean, it, the technology is getting cheaper, though. I mean, I just saw one uh, from China a couple of months back, and they're selling it for $120. Yeah, you know, the other thing that people need to, to learn when it comes about 3D printing is that, you know, it's getting to be pretty easy to print a single object, you know, like an iPhone case or a toothbrush. Uh, I even saw somebody who had come up with a design to 3D print uh, the bison whistle from Avatar, uh, you know, and stuff like that. You know, mm. something, something simple and, and, you know, one piece uh, is something that is pretty easy to do. Um, you can't, you can print a iPhone case, but you can't print an iPhone, and that's because of the component parts necessary. Mm-hmm. So in that, in, in that regard, what you need is a series of printers for a complex item. And then have them work in a production line of some sort, you know. And or, so, or that... you need a printer that can handle multiple kinds of uh, material input. Yeah, and exactly. and these printers exist, but they're fifteen thousand dollars a throw. Right. So uh, us end users, we might have a little ways to go. But you know, the great thing about it is that if you show interest, if there is a desire, then there is more likely than not then it will eventually become available. And that's the thing. People need to know that you're that you are interested in these types of things and and get involved and learn what it takes to actually make them happen and work and find out why is it so expensive and why is it complicated. Well, well, well uh, 20 know, years I, I, ago, 20 years ago paper printers went through the same iteration. Yes. You know, we <laughs> had tra- tractor feed and and uh uh, dot, matrix. Matrix. dot matrix printers and those yeah. were cool <laughs> and you started them up and they made a noise like a coffee grinder and they were supposed to sound that way right and, and uh i was just going to comment actually 20 years ago that's that's a good that's a good marker susan uh i was there yes yeah, so i coveted I. the printers <laughs> <laughs> uh but 20 years ago computer music at that time was simple pulse width modulation music uh, the speaker coil was either on or off. You couldn't control the volume. You could control the frequency because it was all frequency modulated. Uh, and that was the state of computer music then. You yep. know, it was like beep, beep, boop, boop. And now look, I mean, we've gotten uh, our synthesis capabilities are so advanced that we can synthesize human voices from scratch. And yep. But it's taken us 20 years to get from beep boop beep to not being able to tell if the person on the phone you're talking to on tech support is a person or not yep yeah and i i I think that we're going to be going through this a similar development arc with uh with dot matrix technology and 3d printing 
Yep, exactly. And, you know, it's fascinating to see, you know, the more you challenge this technology, the better it will be. The fact that NASA is thinking about actually having a 3D printer up on the station, uh, you know, that's fantastic. I mean, it it just seems to be uh, the perfect location for it because, you know, it's like, hey, something broke on the station. Don't worry, we'll print a replacement, you know. Uh, And they just keep a big box of, you know, a big bag of pellets yeah, to to feed the fuser instead of uh, instead of having to warehouse a whole pile of parts the way oh, they've been doing. God, you know yeah. what's going to happen? Someone's going to sit on the on the scanner and print their butt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, <laughs> you you can put a human in the future, but you can't take humanity out of you know. You can't take humanity out of the future. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the that's one of the things that I really really enjoy about Doctor Geek's lab. By the way, swinging Thank swinging you. the topic back into the <laughs> back on, well, I'll be I'll be glad to talk about Doctor okay. Geek's laboratory. Yeah, <laughs> is that uh, uh, it? It brings the human factor into science so that it's accessible. It makes it accessible for anyone, and it's just like, oh, what are you doing? I'm doing science. Yeah. Well, you know, what's what's interesting about season one, we we came up with a a series of issues to to try to tackle. And here we have, you know, Dr. Geek and Mr. Flask, and they're working with this great, you know, invention, the the WayForward device, which is our uh, time travel machine. Oh, yes, I remember that one. Yes. And, and, uh, you know, and the trick is, is like, well, how, you know, how do you get it to work? And, well, when we join this story, they've already got it working to a certain degree, but not completely. And as it's working currently, the, um, they're sort of quantum leaping a little bit. They're, they mm-hmm. put a, a, a test subject in and plug him into the device and then projecting him into a host avatar body in the, in, in the far future. Oh, and, unfo- and, and unfortunately, what's happening is that the memories of the host avatar are overriding our chrononaut. And so when he comes back, he doesn't remember the trip, and he kind of loses himself in the journey. And so the the trials and tribulations of Dr. Geek and Mr. Flask is they're trying to solve this problem. We were trying to use the scientific method to illustrate how you solve this problem. And, and so we were actually... You know, using science to it and illustrating it in our fiction, which was the goal, and it was a lot of fun. And at some point, though, you know, you're like, okay, well, it's been six episodes; they've got to solve this, otherwise, it's the same problem day after day. So, you know, we ran through a couple of different iterations and everything like that. And in season two, um, you know, we're at the point now where we're just about ready to actually use the WayForward device as it was intended. And that is more like a door into the future, where rather than plugging into the machine and being projected into a host avatar, quantum leap style, you would sort of um, stargate it and walk through the event horizon uh, into the future. And and so we're going to be playing with that too. And uh, it, it's it's just a lot of fun. And it's, the the WayForward device segments are always the 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 absolute funnest to, to write because they synthesize everything that we've done in the interviews and actually illustrate to you what the future they're talking about. You know, so we'll do an interview with somebody talking about the flying car and that's all dandy, but what does that actually look like? What would it be like to actually be in a flying car? Well, okay, so we have to work a little bit harder at it because it's audio theater, mm-hmm. but we're able to illustrate to you kind of what that's like and how it would be used. Same thing goes for having robot assistants, you know, 
And what was awesome about that is in season two, we talk about robots and we talk about AI avatars and, and stuff like that. And one of the uh, our fans is a homeschooling mom who mm-hmm. uses our, our show as part of her science curriculum. And she sent me a message uh, on Facebook and said, you know, hey, and Dr. Geek, have you guys been watching Almost Human? Because their recent episode covered a lot of what you guys talked about. Oops. And I'm like, and I'm like, oh, okay. well, that's not necessarily act- an oops. I think it's I, I, I think that's actually pretty cool. If, if we were on the same page as some writers in Hollywood, then that's great. If it, if 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 our interviews with our experts on robotics painted us a picture of what a future with robots would be like, and we illustrated that, and then um, someone's favorite TV show is showing the same thing, then I think it'll be coming to the same conclusion. Yeah, then I shows think that your research. And and what you thought about what you found out is pretty much congruent with what other experts think. Yeah, exactly. In fact, what was even uh, more amusing was uh, in episode uh, nine, uh, we do this interview with uh, Dr. Grenade, and he is a expert in the Cape Max uh, robotic helicopter systems. And it just so happens that that's the exact same system that's underlining the Amazon Air Prime's uh, project. Uh, I don't know. Are you familiar with that Amazon Air Prime? Yeah, we were yes, on I, yeah. I, I just I can't help thinking how many how many uh, blackbirds, <laughs> you know, flocks of blackbirds are going to be <laughs> dive bombing these things. I think it's I think it's awesome. I I, I can just envision you know whole fleets of of uh, Amazon air drones you know flying over. I could I you know I can see people like, you know aiming at them and taking them down. That, right, not just with shotguns. Yeah, people but are going to take you know, pot shots controls. at them and try to shoot them down to get the cargo. Right. Uh, they're going to have to. Name's good eating. Yeah, and the birds will be <laughs> the birds will either be afraid of them or territorial and attack them. You know, yeah. I mean, what if what if uh, what if the Amazon flying cargo fleet has to eventually arm themselves to fend off birds? <laughs> you know, now you've got aerial combat happening with cargo in tow, fighting off birds. Sounds <laughs> like a good video game to me. Um, <laughs> I just it, realistically, I don't, I don't. You know, I think it's a cute. I think it's a cute idea. Uh, I think sure the got people thinking about yeah, it got people thinking about it. The technology, yep. Yep. I think, is almost there. Uh, but there are practical concerns like, you know, like what happens if if uh, the drop zone is not clear of of uh, uh, potential obstacles? What happens if, right. you know, what happens if the thing is mistaken for an animal and attacked by a guard dog and, and can't right itself? Yep. So it can't take off after that, and then, then it's all the schedule is blown, and who knows? Well, you know, it, it, that's, shooting shooting them out of the sky—that's that's a very real possibility. You know, what I think is so fascinating about it is that you know it got the conversation going. Oh that's, yeah, that's, that's that's the whole point. And 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 part of the part of the deal with robotic helicopters is you know the FAA is is kind of struggling a little bit to kind of catch up, and nobody really wants to say, oh sure, let's have autonomous. Uh, robot helicopters in the air. I mean, that's part of the problem. You know, we have robotic helicopters, but there's always a human pilot somewhere sitting there with a joystick. Mm-hmm. And now we've got to the point where they can quite easily do exactly this thing without a human necessarily at the stick. 
And so now it's gotten to the point where, you know, hey, one of our biggest retailers is going to say, you know, hey, we would love to use this technology. Let's discuss. And, you know, it, it, it's amazing. I, um, during our, our Christmas special that we did for Dr. Geek's Laboratory, there's a joke that Claire says about, you know, hey, I want to get into the worldwide shipping business now that uh, the U.S. Post Office is not going to have Saturday delivery. And we're like, well, Claire, but they decided not to do that. Uh, and But, you know, she's on a roll. So in order to save our jobs, we have to come up with this system that will compete with Santa Claus. And it's, <laughs> It's, uh-huh. it's 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 pretty hysterical you know we we do all the science of santa and we explain mm-hmm. you know how you know it uh how does santa do it well you know the earth is roughly this amount of mass and mm-hmm. and x number of children roughly celebrate christmas you have 24 hours of rotation you know, you know how do you how do you do this you know and so what would, what what could we do to get the edge on santa and and so it was pretty fun to do, but what was so funny is, like I said, it started off with this idea that, you know, hey, what happens if the U.S. postal system decides not to have Saturday delivery? Thankfully, they've decided not to do that. But I just heard that in Canada, they're actually going to stop uh, home delivery of mail uh, and in the next five years. And the idea is that moving forward, you'll have packages, like from their version of Amazon, deliver, but you'll have to go to like a UPS box to pick up your mail um, because the cost of doing home delivery has gotten so much because nobody's using the post anymore. Mm -hmm. It's all been replaced by, you know, the only thing that you're using the post for now are packages from Amazon. And uh, so, you know, it, it could be that, you know, even though this Amazon Air Prime is a little bit goofy, um, that a you know an automated system like this may eventually be useful. Uh, I just you know kind of like in a cartoon, I kind of envision what how this would function. You know, do you get a a call to your cell phone saying check the door? You know, does it ring the doorbell for you? Does it you know I have a covered porch. Does it have the ability to to come down low enough to get so that it places it uh, under the porch, or is it? Are we going to have to have like you know like a little. Uh, landing pad marker next to your mailbox you know, and, you know, and, I mean? uh, you know it, it flies up it rings the doorbell you know it waits, right. it waits hovering there for three minutes while you come to the door you come <laughs> to the door and there's this little thing going yeah exactly you know right. and then it produces a notepad from nowhere that's four times the size of the platform and it says sign here please yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, you know it's you like know, what and, and, <laughs> and, 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 and the geek in me wants it to say by your command but you know <laughs> <laughs> little red ping pong ball eye going yes. back and forth yes exactly thank you master yeah, That's exactly. You. Very good dog, Canine. Um, exactly. Uh, ah, so... your grandfather was a Pontiac. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it's just amazing that, and like I say, what was nice about how this all played out was we had just done episode nine uh, back in October, and uh, here Amazon has this news story about their Amazon Air Prime, and we happen to have an expert on the KMAX system as our uh, interview in that episode. So uh, I, you know, it was just like, it was just perfect timing and a great, what, what do you think about yeah. Google buying Boston dynamics? Oh, you know, I, I don't know. They've been, I, they've been snapping up robotics technology right and left. And they've yep. just acquired the most advanced robotics company on the planet, Boston dynamics. They made the, uh, they made that, uh, that, what is it called? The Jaguar? The mm-hmm. it uh, it's it's about oh this, yes 
Yeah. Oh, it's, yes. It, it's it's the. Uh, in fact, we 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 did a, a little news article on on www.drgeeklab.com on mm-hmm. our website about that, and I said, "Move over, K9. Here comes Wildcat." Oh, yeah, uh, Wildcat. That was it. Yeah, and the thing Wildcat. runs. Yeah. Well, like that, like those four forward pointing knees. I thought it was really strange looking at first, but it works. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's there's the there they have the three or four of them. There's one of them that's about the size of a mule. Uh, that's, it's just, they call it, what do they call it? Big dog. I don't have this information at my fingertips, unfortunately. Uh, probably should, probably should have waited to bring it up until, until I had my notes up. But uh, (laughs) they've got, yeah, they've got one that, uh, that's the size of a pack mule that can carry, uh, 350 pounds of gear beyond, uh, beyond its own weight. It can walk in rough terrain. It can find its own path through the forest doesn't need a road <laughs> if it accidentally trips and stumbles it can roll over and right itself and get back on its feet uh, there's another version that can gallop and it can gallop at a good 35 miles an hour and, and then uh, there's another one um, which is a humanoid uh, which is six feet tall and looks like uh, oh, wow. looks like a cylon with its clothes off <laughs> and can and can walk over uneven terrain, and it has. Oh, wow. uh, I think its arms have six points of articulation. Fantastic with re- with replaceable hands, and and uh, I don't think they have it to the point where it can carry its own brains and power supply yet. But you know that's coming. Yep. Because they've got the other stuff working, and if they got that working, they can get this working. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, and now Google owns it all. Well, you know, it's fascinating. It's kind of like Apple. Remember when Apple was a computer company? I do. Wow. Yeah. It's been and, a while. <laughs> it's been a while. And now it's become an end-user device company. Uh, really, the, the, you know, the iPod and the iPhone have dramatically changed the direction of that company. And I wonder, you know, Google, you know, used to be a search engine tool, but I think that they are going somewhere else with, you know, Google Glass and with these robotic companies. I mean, it's it's possible that what they're going to be known for is going to be dramatically different, I think, because, uh, I, I, you know, a search engine, eh. I mean, there's only so much more you can do with that. Right. So, that, was, that was their springboard, but now they're making self-driving cars. Yep. Uh, the, the, the Google Glass, as you mentioned, they, they did uh, the Google Nexus One, you know, the, yes. the, their first cell phone actually made by Google. Uh, they've already built the most popular telephone operating system, you know, for smartphones on the planet, uh, which is Android, which now has 80% of the market. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, 80% of the smartphones on the planet now use Android. And uh, wow. about 17% of it is Apple, and then 3% is everybody else. And, you know, and uh, was the Android market actually has the, the very first smartwatch, right? Where you, um, and I, I love That's that right. commercial. That's right, yeah, the very I love first that. smartwatch. I, I love the commercial for their smartwatch because, you know, uh, it goes through the history of fictional use of the uh, of the of the uh, watch phone. And it has Dick Tracy, and oh, yeah. it has, uh-huh. you know, it has Captain Kirk from the you know the motion picture and and so forth and mm-hmm. I I thought you know you know that is that's pretty awesome I mean there is an example of what I'm talking about with Doctor Geek's laboratory the uh, the fiction that we all know and love inspired you to take a look at that communicator and go hey I want one 
let's make it. Let's make it happen. And you know, the 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 um, the smartwatch is something that has been a, a dream and a little bit of a holy grail. And I think their current solution is to tether it with a uh, with your smartphone. Yeah, so I think what, it's, yeah, I think it's a Bluetooth tether. And frankly, yeah. the results are a little mixed um, because uh, uh, the the amount of technical interface that you can put on a phone. I mean, uh, is going to be substantially higher than right. what you can put on a wristwatch. And I mean, that's wrist, part of wristwatch is it's going to understand maybe uh, a, f- a few simple gestures, and that's all you get. Right. And I think that's what the, the question becomes. You know, what is the mission for this device? You know, I haven't. Uh, you know, I used to have a, a large collection of wristwatches and pocket watches and so forth. And and heck, I would love to have a a digital pocket watch with, that still looks like a classic one. You know, let's go for that kind of steampunk look, but have all the conveniences of a smartwatch. But the the problem with that is that while there may be somebody out there who's working at it, and if they do, you know, let me know it drgeeklab.com but uh if but i think the reason why i think i'm in the minority with that one is that we have moved so far away from a wristwatch you know it used to be something that was so commonplace and why wouldn't you want it because you would be right there on your wrist but i haven't ever since i've had a smartphone i haven't had a wristwatch on my wrist because my clock is in my pocket and i've just gotten used to that so not not to mention your phone your database your rolodex your web browser your music yeah. player and everything else. Uh, exactly. So, I mean, you know, so so the thing about it's it's almost like saying that you know the, the technology to give us the Dick Tracy wrist phone uh, is finally here in one form or another. Maybe not as reliable as we'd like. Maybe not as independent as we'd like because of the tethering. But you know, you can do it. The question becomes: Have we moved away from uh, culturally away from the wristwatch to the point where it's kind of odd that they put it in the wristwatch? Yeah, it, it, you know. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, I think I, I think the the cultural uh, the cultural aspect of science is is uh, is a fascinating one. Where we're constantly not only is our science constantly evolving, but how we interact with it as as a species is constantly evolving as well and and, uh one of the crucial elements in making sure that this all happens in a useful way is shows like what you're doing dr geeks lab uh for those listening who have just tuned in uh, we only have a few minutes left but we're talking to dr scott vigay aka dr geek uh, Dr. Geek Lab, drgeeklab.com. Uh, and as I understand it, you have just finished season one uh, and you are now working on season two of your show. And season one, am, am I am I correct in the idea that you have a boxed set available now? Yes. Uh, you have just released it, haven't you? Just just released it. Uh, downpour.com. Uh, you can get a digital download or a CD set. Uh, it is our first season. Season one uh, covers the um, privatization of space and the flying car. And we've actually remastered these uh, episodes and added some extra bells and whistles and some special features. There's content in that set that isn't available anywhere else, plus the average things that you would expect in a box set. We really treated it like a television show and did kind of a making of and the behind the scenes bit where you have interviews with the cast and crew 
and uh, it's uh, pretty awesome. It's really fantastic, and it's by um, Blackstone Audio, and uh, you can get it at downpour.com or go to drgeeklab.com and go to our shop, and it's right there at the top. There's a link to it there. And it, effectively, it's available anywhere audiobooks are sold. Um, if it's not shelved, you can ask for it. Dr. Geek's Laboratory, Season 1. Excellent. So that's, uh, that's available on CD then? Yes, it's available on CD, it's available on MP3, and it's uh-huh. avail- uh, disc, and it's available as, also as a digital download as well. But if, if you get the digital downloads, you aren't going to get all the beautiful printed material and the, right. the, other, the other stuff that goes with all of that. Right, exactly. And uh, what is what is wonderful, you know, you were talking about the evolution of Google and, uh, you know, where they may, may be going. Dr. Geek's Laboratory, uh, you know, we are an audio drama t- science fiction show, but we are also doing a lot of uh, in-person uh, appearances at conventions. Mm-hmm. And uh, in September of 2014, we are actually going to have the very first Dr. Geek's Science Fair. Ooh. Oh, yes. oh, oh, oh. Somehow we have to figure out how to get across the country to go to that. Yeah. <laughs> I assume that's going to be on the East Coast. Yes, it's going to actually be at the South Florida Museum uh, is going to be partnering with us. And we are. it's going to be a full day event and it's going to be the Dr. Geek Science Fair. So it's going to be a, uh, a classic science fiction convention meets a science fair. And what is awesome is we're going to have a group of kids that are going to be showing us what inspires them and... Uh, it, uh, from fiction, and we're going to have experiments on hand that you can do, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, you know, stay tuned to Krypton Radio and drgeeklab.com and our Facebook page. Please like us there, uh, drgeeklab.com on Facebook, and uh, we'll have all sorts of updates. So, 2014 is going to be a very, very, very big year for us. And uh, you know, and uh, people were talking a lot about the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Well, 2014 is the 50th anniversary of the 1964 World's Fair. And that was, was a very. There. You were there. I well, was that there. it's it was a very important world <clears throat> fair for a lot of people, and a lot of technology and a lot of things came out of that. And so, kind of in in that footsteps, um, Doctor Geek's Science Fair is going to kind of be the next iteration of what we do. And, uh, you know, we'll probably be in season three by the time that happens. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, hey, that's fine. It's it's mm-hmm. um, it's been it's going to be awesome. And I really, you know, I'm excited to meet the new, you know, everybody involved and and bring everybody on to this next segment of, of the adventure. It sounds absolutely like it's an adventure I don't have any words and we for can it. all go along. This is yeah. this is the kind of stuff that I used to dream about as a kid, you know. Me too. Being and able I... to go to stuff like this and the best you could do is, you know, a Star Trek convention or something like that, but you couldn't actually yeah. go someplace and get to play with the science itself. This is going to be yeah, awesome. That's, it's going to be really fun. I mean, I was talking to the to the museum and they're really supportive about what we're going to do. And, and like I say, right now, we're kind of blue sky celebrating it a little bit just because uh, we've got a long time between now and September. But I was talking about, you know, let's have like a flying car derby, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you know, basically take some basic technology and show people what it would take to make a flying car. And mm-hmm. if everyone remembers those Boy Scout Pinewood derbies, kind of do a flying car derby um, illustration. And, you know, people well, could work are, on their cars. There are single fan hover car kits. Yeah. You know, you could have a real yeah. flying car derby. 
real one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why not? You no, have a talent it's... show with eight-bit, uh, uh, you know, Nintendo. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I know we're going to have a costume contest, and the Ken Spivey Band is going to perform. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, very, very excited about that. They're a big supporter of Doctor Geek's Laboratory, and it wouldn't be proper for us to do our first event like that without them. And, and I'm so glad that they're going to be a part of it. And if I can get them to do it, maybe some um, some new, uh, new music that is uh, Doctor Geek inspired. So kind of pay attention to that. And um, you know, it, it's going to be fun. We're going to, like I say, it's going to have all the elements of a, of a of a wonderful day at a convention. Everything that you would expect, vendors and and uh, you know and, and stuff like that. But it's and uh, costume contests and cosplaying. But it's also going to have the science behind it, and we're going to have places where people can get hands-on and we're gonna have panel discussions and the panel discussions are gonna range from you know hey let's talk about the 50th anniversary of doctor who and beyond uh to things like well all right let's talk about that flying car how does this work uh or you know maybe the search for extraterrestrial life what would it take to actually contact another life form how would you understand what's coming back you know what does it take to learn an alien language Uh, and you know kind of talk about that a little bit or even, I mean, one possible uh, entry point into something like that is uh, is the invented languages that have been created for science yes. fiction, uh, like Klingon? motion pictures, yes. like Klingon and Atlantis. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and so <laughs> there was a there was a science fiction story years ago. Who the hell wrote it? A, 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 a linguist wrote it. And it was called omnilingual, and uh, turns out what 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 is the omnilingual but but science? It's mathematics. Yes. And uh, it's it's brilliant story, and I wish I could remember the, the woman's name. Well, you know, I mean, it, it's things like that that I'm hoping that you know someone will walk away from and have a great time. Uh, they will, you know, be able to get maybe a, a little bit closer to their favorite TV show stuff, you know, that we talk about, you know, hey, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you came because we mentioned Star Trek or Doctor Who or Firefly, uh, but you left thinking, hey, I want my own flying car or I want my own robot, uh, then, you know, I think we did our job. You know, the idea is that it's going to be uh, a chance to exercise the mind and the spirit. So. I'm just I'm really looking forward to it, and the South Florida Museum people are been great, uh, and we've got a long ways to go before we're there. But um, I was able to lock the date down today, so that's Woo. wow. And we're the yeah. so, scoop. You heard it here first. We got the scoop. Um, yes. So that it sounds like that that uh, that this uh, this science fair is all about. It's really uh, uh, just sharpening up the mission of Dr. Geek's lab in the first place, which is to yep. bring, bring people to science and, and bring, and bring science to people. And yeah, right. by opening the dialogue, by getting well, people it, talking it, about it in, in a, a fun way that, that they can relate to. And, and that's why the, you know, the subtitle of our show is Dr. Geek's laboratory of applied geekdom. You know, that's what the applied geekdom means. You know, we're, 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 we're applying our passion for science fiction and fantasy and we are trying to bring it into reality. And that's why, if you'll notice, I don't actually say, uh, you know, I say from science from fiction because, you know, we can talk about uh, Harry Potter and things like that. It might look like magic, but as we all know... Every you know, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Clark's yes, third exactly. law. 
Exactly. And so, <laughs> and you know, hey, there was a flying car in Harry Potter too. So we, you know, it's yeah, fine. It, you know, so so I don't care if it's science fiction or fantasy. If it's fiction and there are, uh, you know, an object or a concept in there that you want to talk about, do, you know, do you want to talk about telepathy? We can talk about telepathy. You know, there are, you know, neural bots that are being experimented with that might give you give us the de facto telepath- telepathy ability. But oh, you know, that's, we, that's a whole subject you know? on its own. We could talk yeah, about exactly. that for another whole hour. Exactly. So, I mean, that's so that's what the idea is, is that, you know, the, the audio show, our live appearances and now the science fair. And I'm really hoping that eventually the science fair will be its thing where we all have regional science fairs and then maybe it could be eventually our own world's fair. Uh, that would be uh, that would be what the goal is. Can, and now it's to see if we can see make it, it happen. I can close my eyes and visualize it. Yep. That sounds magnificent. Well, we Thank live you. near the local uh, RC airplane park. We could we could have flying cars there. <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> Dr. Scott Vigade, a.k.a. Dr. Geek of Dr. Geek's Lab, drgeeklab.com. Thank you for joining us this evening on the Event Horizon. It was great to have you with us. Uh, the If you're looking for the first season of Dr. Geek's Lab on CD or audiobook or MP3, you can buy it from... Everywhere audiobooks are sold. You can find it at Amazon.com. Downpour.com is actually the publisher's website, so Downpour.com would get to you directly. Uh, or you can go to drgeeklab.com, go to our shop, and hit the link at the very top of the page. So you want to push the button? Yes. <laughs> push the button, push the button okay. Frank. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anytime you're ready. Go. Go ahead. This has been episode 43 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for December 21st, 2013. Your hosts have been Krypton Radio station manager Gene Turnbow and executive producer Susan Fox. Our guest this week has been Dr. Scott Vigay, better known to our listening audience as Dr. Geek of Dr. Geek's Laboratory of Applied Geekdom. You can hear Dr. Geek's Lab every Thursday at 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Pacific. This episode will air again on Sunday, December 22nd at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You will be able to find this episode and others as downloads at the Krypton Radio website and on iTunes and Stitcher's podcasts. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The part of the science officer was played by renowned science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The part of the engineer was played by fandom dignitary Christian B. McGuire. The Navigator was played by Corsair's Closet producer Christine Cherry, and the role of the captain was voiced by science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents are copyright 2013 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. Krypton Radio wishes you a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Stay tuned for more great geeky Christmas music and tonight's episode of X-1. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>